Anybody have a guess what's happening this summer? It's really big. Every country in the world is going to be a part of it. Summer Olympics. Do we have any Summer Olympic fans in the room? I used to be addicted to the Summer Olympics when I was a kid, and I would try to watch all day long. It's because I didn't have a life, and I didn't have a job, and that's all I, all I wanted to do was go, USA, USA, just a solo chant in front of the TV, USA, USA. Um, but Summer Olympics is happening this summer in, I think this year is in Rio de Janeiro, right? Brazil. Um, in 1976, the Olympics happened in Montreal. And uh, something happened in that Olympics that had never happened before, never been done before. And it was done by a little girl that was probably four foot nine, five foot tall. I'm not quite sure. I just know she was little. Her name was Nadia Comaneci. Uh, did I say that right? Any, any Olympic fans, gymnastic fans out there? And she did something on the parallel uneven bars that had never been done. Does anybody know? Anybody know what she did? She scored a perfect 10. Now, here's how unlikely that was or how big a deal or how unanticipated that was. The company that had made the display that they were going to use in that Olympics contacted the Olympic uh, scoring committee and asked them, did they want to have the ability to put a 10 on the scoreboard? And the, and the Olympic committee came back to them and said, um, no, I mean, it's not really that big a deal. A 10 has never been done before. It's highly unlikely. We actually think it's impossible, so, so don't even bother with making a board that can have a 10 because no one's ever going to get a 10. Until that Olympics, when Nadia Comaneci scored a perfect 10 on the parallel uneven bars. And, um, and they just weren't ready for it. Because when they got, and the, the judges were tallying, she finished, she dismounted, and the judges were tallying up their scores, you know, they figured out a perfect 10, and they told the people to put it up on the sign, and they had no ability to do it, so they actually put a 1.00, and the audience just like sat there stunned, like, a 1? Like, and then it finally was announced over the, the announcement that she got a 10, and the crowd just went berserk. Not only did she score a perfect 10 one time on the parallel uneven bars, in that Olympics, she did it six more times in different events. She was perfect. Now, I've played sports a long time in my life. And Troy and I were just talking about playing softball and sports. And I played kickball this week at school. I'm helping with the, with the special needs students. And uh, I, I kicked, and I thought I pulled a hammy playing kickball. I mean, I, and I ran to first base, and I was like, I'm so glad I'm out. It was bad. It was so bad. It was so bad. And uh, I've never been perfect in sports. I played softball from like 16 until 30, and I never had a 4 for 4 game. I mean, I have never been perfect in the history of Jared's life he's never now my wife would argue and she'd say I'm perfect but uh, she probably wouldn't so don't don't tell her I said that um have you yeah I say those things when she's not here today yeah she's homesick um how many of you would say just by raising hands I'm not perfect anybody yeah all of us that's good how many of you would say definitely the person sitting next to me is not perfect? I love them, but they're not perfect. <laughs> smart man, smart man. There's a couple men in here that were like, zip. 
<laughs> Not going down that road. How many of you on your journey with God would be honest enough to say this morning that even on my journey with God, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm just not. Yeah, me, me too. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about, in this series, we've been, we've been um, walking through the Lord's Prayer and we're talking about how it can help us reconnect with our Heavenly Father. And, and today we're going to pause on just a moment, just a, 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 a portion of the Scripture that we often just kind of blow by um, because I think it has some really important issues for us to look at on this idea of reconnecting with our Heavenly Father and dealing with sin. Like, here's the deal. If we're honest to say that we're not perfect and we make mistakes, well, sometimes we have to stop calling them mistakes and just say we, we sin. Um, let's not sugarcoat it here. We, we blow it. We sin. Um, then there's an issue. There's an issue that we have in our lives that we, there's a gap that we need, we need to close with reconnecting with our Heavenly Father. The, the word sin um, in the Greek is actually an archery term. And it comes with the idea, this mental picture of a bullseye and an arrow flying towards it. And, and if you don't hit the bullseye right in the middle, if you stray a little to the left, a little to the right, a little to, or if you just miss a target altogether, anything other than perfection, right dead center, is sin. That's a pretty high standard. And that's what we're talking about today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, in your, um, in your notes. Read it along with me. If you know the Lord's Prayer, you don't have to look. And it says, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So how do we reconnect with the Father through this issue of sin and debt and, and, and grace and mercy? And the first thing is this. If you're following along, you write this in notes. Admit that you really are a debtor. Understand, admit that you really are a debtor. December 22nd, 2002, boxer Mike Tyson walked into a jewelry store in Las Vegas, Nevada. And he was looking for a piece of jewelry. Um, and he had been to that jewelry store many times. I'm just, and he had purchased and spent a lot of money in that store. And in that particular day, he found a chain that he really liked. And so, so he took it. The chain was worth $173 thousand dollars one necklace now that's crazy to me if, if you're paying one hundred seventy three thousand dollars that's that's my house you just bought a house that you're dangling around your neck i mean that's insanity um but he found it and he liked it and he left without paying for it and here's what's funny is that the store owner was completely okay with him doing that because he had worked with Mike Tyson numerous times and Mike Tyson was always good for the money, you know, he just figured that Mike Tyson would pay for it whenever Mike Tyson would want to pay for it. I mean, who's going to argue with Mike Tyson, right? Here's the deal, that throughout Mike Tyson's boxing career, he had earned over $400 million through fighting. Let that number sink in. So a $173,000 chain to a man who had earned four hundred million dollars not really that big a deal but it actually is because what the store owner didn't know and what Mike Tyson didn't know at that time was that he was actually broke and the following year in 2003 he filed for bankruptcy because he owed over 20 million dollars in debt that he could not pay now some of us think that that's pretty insane 
right? You earn $400 million, but yet you owe $20 million and you're broke and you're filing bankruptcy. I mean, that's kind of unbelievable. But it's really not. Because that's like a lot of us, if you think about it. A lot of us get so centered and so, so focused on all the stuff that's coming in that sometimes we forget to look at what's going out. Even our own finances, right? We get, we get focused on the paychecks and the money and the retirements and all that stuff that we forget, I might need to balance the checkbook every once in a while and see. And in the life of the church, it's, it's, even, more, it's even more common. What I mean by that is this, is that if you've grown up in the church for any amount of time, or if you've ever been a part of the church for any length of time, we have a tendency to keep track of all the good stuff that we do. And we add it to our accounts with God. We think, well, I've been going to church. I, I tithe. I, I give money. I, I do a lot of good stuff for people. I, I, you know, I feel really, I read my Bible. I feel really good about myself. But here's the thing. With all the good things that we're keeping track of, that we're doing, sometimes we forget about what's really, what's really going out. Here's the thing, here's the big truth, is that we really do owe God more than we could ever repay. We really do. Look at the scripture I put in your notes. Romans 3.23. It says, for who? Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of, the, of God's glorious standard. Now those two words are really huge words. He says, everyone has sinned and all fall short. How many of you understand today that that probably includes you? Anybody? Yeah. That, if it's everyone and all and that's what God is telling us, then that probably includes me too. It means me. It means you. We all really owe God more than we could ever repay Him. We do. But the truth is, is that we really don't believe that we're debtors. Why is that? I just put three, three little thoughts. The first one is this, is that we have a tendency to dismiss sins of the heart. When we think about sin, we think about the things that we do, right? You know, we think of people that, that get drunk. We think of people that rob a store. We think of people that murder people. We think of people that, that lie. We think of people that, that hurt other people. We, that's what we think about as sin. You can frame it however you want, but sin is Sin. And here's the thing about Jesus is Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, he took sin from something that we do to something that happens in here. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, he just said, if you, he says, the law says to not commit adultery. But if you even look at a man or a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Matthew chapter 5, he says, the law says do not murder. But I tell you, if you even hold anger in your heart, you've committed murder already. And so Jesus says we, he's talking to his followers and, and these Pharisees that were surrounding him. He says, you guys think that you're really good here in this world? But let me tell you, it's not just about what we do, but it's also in our hearts. We have to wrestle with this idea that that sin happens in our hearts. 
It happens in our hearts. Not only do we dismiss the sins of the heart, but, but we have a tendency to justify the sin of omission. What I mean by that is this. James 4.17 says, If you know to do good and you don't do it, to him it is sin. So if you know to do good and you don't do it, to him it's sin. So, so what that means is that, if, is that if you're living life and God puts something on your heart to do, and either out of anxiety or nerves or fear or whatever, you choose not to do what God lays on your heart, guess what that is? Anybody want to say? Sin. That's what the scripture says. If you know to do good and don't do it, to him it is sin. Now we're in a whole lot of trouble. Because not only are we sinning because what we do, now we're sinning because what we don't do. Now we're, we're all starting to get in a little deep here. Here's the third thing, is that we ignore sins that we regard as acceptable. In the church, let's just be honest. We can be honest with each other. It's a Sunday morning, we're in church. There are sins that we feel like are acceptable in the church. It's just true. Gossip. Gossip's one of them. Have you ever had somebody walk up to you and put your arm around you and say something along the lines, boy, we really need to be praying for so-and-so and so-and-so. You won't believe what they did or what's happening in their family. And it turns not just from a prayer request, but into like a little gossip session. Anybody ever been there before? That's gossip. And gossip is what? Sin, right? I've been in the church 40 years. since. I mean, when I was born, the first place that I was, I think my mom and dad knew how much of a handful I would be. And so I, I like was raised in the church. It's crazy. I've never, in all my years in the church, I've never heard a sermon on gluttony. But as you can see, I have a problem with it, right? And here's the deal. Gluttony is what? Sin. Not only do we just like look over it as a church, we kind of foster it. I mean, we had a pretty sweet potluck last week, right? <laughs> and there was some cake and there were some cookies. And, there, and I'm not saying we have to go away from gluttony, but maybe somebody needs to be there with a ruler slapping my hand saying, hey, that one plate's enough, Jared. You know? It's gluttony. It's gluttony. Here's a big one. Here's one that we wink at that we shouldn't. And that's the word hate. It's the word hate. In the church, as followers of Jesus, there are a segment of people in this world that we feel it's okay to hate. We just do. I couldn't tell you how many heartbreaking and sad Facebook posts that I've read about Muslims, about transgender people, about homosexual. And when I read those posts, I think that is so hateful. It's just so hateful. And the scripture says that it's not okay to hate anybody. It's just not okay to hate anybody. And, and I really struggle with this. Especially when I read reports about Christians being murdered and beheaded and slaughtered in places like Africa and Iran and Iraq and in, in the Middle East, and my heart breaks and anger takes over, and I'm just like, ah, I wish we could do something about that. And then I remember the words of Jesus when he tells his disciples to love their enemies and pray for those that persecute you. And my heart just grieves because I don't feel love. That's hate. And hate's a sin. 
And it's a sin that we often regard as acceptable. I hope I'm, I hope I'm not making anybody mad in here. I'm just telling the truth. So to begin this process of reconnecting with the Father, we have to come to a place where we really understand that, that we're all debtors. That we all are in need of God's grace. And we all owe more than we could ever repay. Here's a second thought. If you want to if you want to reconnect with the Heavenly Father in this issue of grace and forgiveness and sin, is that you need to make confession a daily part of your prayers. Make confession a daily part of your prayers. Remember last week, we talked about to give us this day our daily bread. What if we took that idea also to confession? Did anybody grow? I know a few people grew up Catholic in here, right? There's a few of you. Yeah. I really enjoy the idea not enjoy, because that's kind of sick, but I really like the idea of confession in the Catholic Church. Not the idea of the priest forgiving sins, because I believe only God can do that, but I like the practice of it. I like the idea of somebody sitting down in front of somebody else and saying, let me just be honest with you, this is where I failed. And I think it's something the Bible tells us to do. Jesus, or James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, to confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. It's a good practice. When I, when I see that confession play out, like in movies, I always kind of think it's a little bit funny. Because in movies, you'll have a person sit into the confessional, right? And they'll, they'll put their arm up on the box and they'll say, Father, please forgive me. It's been, you know, six months or three years or 27 years since my last confession, you know, and they'll do confessing. Now, I think that's funny because if that was me and I was like, Father, you know, please forgive me. It's been 27 months since my last confession would say, Father, I hope you have a pillow, some popcorn, and a soda, because this is going to take a while. Please don't fall asleep. Because it's, I'm just, I, I screw up. You know, I am a big, I'm a sinner. I don't, I don't get it right, always. So we need to make it a part of our daily journey. Proverbs 28, 14, I put this in your notes. Blessed is the one who always, underline bold, Trembles before God. Now, I did that. It's not that way in the Bible. I just did it for, to, to stick out. But whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God. Why should we confess daily? One, it keeps us humble before God. When we confess daily, it keeps us humble. It, it helps me to eliminate the illusion that I'm really just a really good guy. Because here's the truth, is that sometimes I need God to remind me that I'm not. Think about it for a second. If you're outside working on a fence and you have a hammer and you smack your thumb, you know, what, what spills out? Or somebody cuts you off in traffic, what comes to your mind? What blurts out? What happens? It's not like, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I love Him so much and He is my eternal Savior and God bless everybody I ever love. That's not what happens. Now, I don't say the other thing, but I'm just saying... That's not what happens. Or when somebody cuts me off in traffic, I don't think, Lord, let that hurt person have a blessed day. I think, God, what's wrong with them? Take them out, Lord. <laughs> Teach them how to drive better. You know? So it keeps me humble before God. It keeps me in a right place before the Father. When we make confession a daily part of our journey, we... We remind ourselves that there's only one person who is perfect and pure and good and deserving of worship. And it's the Father, 
Jesus and it's not me. So stop worshiping myself. Here's a second thought. It keeps my heart becoming hardened. In my last church, about once every three or four months during staff meetings, we'd do a walk around where we would dismiss staff and we'd just get in a big group and we would just walk through different areas of the church to kind of just get a sense of what needs to be fixed and what's getting out of order and in disrepair. Because if you're like me, when you're just living in a place for a lot of time, you start forgetting all the stuff and you stop seeing all the stuff that needs to be fixed. Like even in your homes, you know, you'll, you'll spill something in a carpet and you'll clean it up, but you won't clean it all the way up and there'll just be that little bit of stain, you know, and, and you'll think, oh, I really need to finish cleaning that up at some point. And then like a week goes by, it's like, oh, that stain's still there. A month goes by and you're just like, oh, what stain? That's a beautiful design that somebody put into our carpet. And you just, and then after a month, you're just like, I don't even see the stain anymore, right? It's like this callus happens in our eyes and in our hearts and in our minds and we just forget the stuff that's happening around us. When we confess daily, it allows God to break away those calluses of those places and those areas where we're bleeding out and we don't even know it. It gives God an opportunity to remove the callus, to remove that, to to give Him a place to come in and actually help us to feel sorrow and remorse for those broken places in our lives. See, we deal with things immediately, daily, so that we don't become comfortable with it. We don't become comfortable. Here's a third thought. It keeps my active sin becoming a habit. It keeps my active sin from becoming a habit. When I acknowledge on the front end where I've made a mistake, it keeps me from going down that path further and further and further. It's like I read this week that, that a habit takes like, a good habit takes like 21 days to 66 days to form. You know, if you do something for 21 days or 66 days, then it starts feeling normal. But on the reverse end, when you start doing something bad, it just starts feeling comfortable like the next day, right? Just the next day. It's just like instantaneous. Bad habits creep in just like that. And when we, when we daily confess, it gives God an opportunity to allow those sins to not become a habit in our lives. Here's a third thought to help you to reconnect with the Father is be specific in your confession. Be specific. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them, confesses them and renounces them, finds mercy. Here's two ways that we conceal it. We conceal it, one, by making ourselves believe that we don't have any. Another way that we conceal it is by just using very generic terms like, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I'm just, I'm just a sinner, Lord. Please forgive me. But we never get to the real truth of the sin that we're struggling with. And when we say, God, just forgive me, I'm a sinner, God says, yeah, I know you're a sinner, and I want to talk about those places in your life where you are sinning. I want to deal with those areas. When we never do the hard work of naming sins, we never get down to the hard work of having and dealing with those sins. When we name our sin, we make our sin real. We make it real. In the 12-step program, the fourth step is to to take a, what's it called, a 
a, a specific and rigorous, rigorous inventory of our lives in the 12 steps. And, and what that means is, 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 is to pull back and, and to take a moral inventory of the places that we're struggling and the people that we hurt. And when we do that, it makes those issues real. And if we don't ever specifically name them and think about them and call them out, then they're always just really vague and sitting up there. It's just, I, I'm, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace, right? It's just all up in the clouds. It's just all nebulous. And so when we name it, we make it real. Here's another thing, is that when we recognize our sin, we recognize how our sin impacts others. Your sin affects other people, period. Period. It affects other people. When I get real and I name my sin, I have to think about the other people that it's affecting in my life. I have to see their faces. I have to feel their disappointment. And when I do that, I give God a chance to truly break my heart about the sin and how it hurts the people I love. Here's a third thought. Is that when we name our sin, we remove the wedge that distances us from God. Here's a picture of that. If I was to sit down with my wife and just say, Haley, babe, she's not here, so I'll just look at the chair. I'm a bad husband. I'm a bad husband. She'd probably say, yeah, yeah, you are. You're pretty terrible sometimes. I confess that to you. I'm a bad husband. See, that's a really broad stroke, right? And it's not really going to get us anywhere. She's not going to feel any better about me just saying, I'm a bad husband. Now, if I say, I'm a bad husband, and sometimes I say things I shouldn't. Now, now that's, she might agree with me, and she might even forgive me, but, but that brings me a little bit closer to bridging the gap between us. Now, if I get in front of my wife, and I say something along the lines, babe, I'm a bad husband. And sometimes I say things that I shouldn't say. And last night, when you interrupted me or when you came to me when I was on the telephone and I snapped at you and I talked to you in a tone or a voice that I shouldn't have and I said some things that I shouldn't have said and that should never come out of my mouth and I hurt you and I shouldn't have done that and I will never do that again, now we've bridged the gap, right? Now we just got real. Now we just talked about the real issue in our life. See, when you get specific you remove the wedge that's between you and other people in your lives. And it's the same thing with God. When I go from general to specific, it gives God a chance to do something I need. And that's the opportunity for him to break my heart. You see, naming our sin, I put this in your notes, naming our sin doesn't make us feel more guilty. We're already guilty. It just helps us to feel the shame. And that's good. You see, conviction from God is good. It's the Holy Spirit nudging your heart about the direction of your life and something that you've done. It's not God trying to hurt you. It's God trying to help you feel the sorrow of your pain and of the pain that other people feel. The scripture says that, that um, how's it go? That, um, that, that godly sorrow is the road to repentance. Godly sorrow, it's good. It's on the road to repentance. Here's the last thing, last thought. It's the most important. It's to let grace flow through you and not just to you. Let God's grace flow through you and not just to you. 
You see, the biggest struggle in forgiving other people is the fact that we have to come to terms of how much we need forgiveness ourselves. And when we come to terms with how much in debt we are, it's easier for us to forgive the debts around us. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. Read this last part with me. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Now let that marinate in your heart for a second. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly father will not forgive your sins. You see, grace isn't something that should stop with us. It should flow through us. I think it was last year, a crazy person by the name of Dylan Roof, I think that's how you say his last name, walked into a Charleston, South Carolina church on a Wednesday night and sat down with a group of people and had a Bible study for over an hour. They read God's word together. They prayed together. And then after the Bible study was over, he stood up in front of those I think it was 10 or 11 people in the room. And he said, I'm here to kill black people. And he did. Killing nine of them. And he left one to tell the story. And he walked out. He was later captured. And he's on trial right now for, for murder. And, um, and I remember after that tragedy, the the press conferences that happened soon afterwards and the families of those nine victims coming in front of the whole United States and saying, you know, we could really hate this person, this, this man, this crazy person that did this, but we choose to forgive. We forgive them. And family after family after family stood in front of a microphone and said, we forgive him. We forgive him. We, we forgive him. And when I watched that, the thought that crossed my mind is that the only way that you could forgive something like that is that if you truly understood God's forgiveness in your life. That the only way that you could truly forgive such an act of horror and hate and disgust is to really to understand the amount of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness that God has shown you. See, this morning, the question is, is, is not that I, I, am I a debtor. I mean, we all know that we're in debt. We all know that we sin. We all know everybody raised their hand. We know that we are. The question is, is are we ready to confess it? Are we ready to deal with it? Are we ready to put it before God, to receive His grace, to truly name it and to allow His grace and mercy and love to cleanse us in such a way that we've never experienced before?